The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Behind every memorable moment and career highlight on the diamond. And the Twins are baseball's world champion. Number 500 for Harm Killebrew. Francisco Lariato has pitched a no-hitter. Gone! A walk-off for Sano! And the Twins win it! Are the true gems. The inside stories and tales. I had zero idea what was going on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm starting game one. Like, what is happening? Honestly, and it, it ended up being cooler that I hit a third triple than hitting a grand slam. But at the moment, I was mad that it wasn't a grand slam. I went into the seventh inning, and it got broken up by Joe hitting a single. We'll call it a very loose single. And you'll find those candid, casual conversations here on the Twins Clubhouse Podcast. Now, here's Chris Atterbury. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to the Twins Clubhouse one more time, whether you're listening to us across our Treasure Island Baseball Network here across Twins territory as we eagerly await uh, the sound of baseball once again here uh, across Twins territory and across all of the United States and the world, or whether you're podcasting us uh, wherever you pick up your Twins podcast. My name is Chris Atterbury, and I am adjacent to my boiler room and southwest minneapolis uh, we are routing through target field taking a detour through plymouth minnesota and eventually hooking up with today's guest who hopes to add his quotes to the billboard the way denard span brian dunsing jake odorizzi did we are at the i believe chill pad is the official address in uh, colorado with the great taylor rogers hello taylor hey guys how you doing thanks for having me yeah we are doing okay the bigger question i think for most twins fans uh, how are you doing now i know you're one of the guys who took off from Florida. Uh, you did not come here uh, to the Twin Cities. Uh, you headed back home uh, to your newly purchased home in Colorado. Uh, and what has that process been like? I know that uh, you just bought the house this off season. I don't think you anticipated spending this much time this soon in it. Certainly did not anticipate that. Um, you know, one of the things that was funny when I got home is, you know, I didn't touch this place to be gone for eight months. So I didn't have, I had no food, I had no water. Toilet paper, I was really worried about getting home. And that was kind of out of everything. So I had to hurry up and rush and go grab some stuff from the store. Luckily, there was uh, some stuff. But just kind of joking around with some guys and we were talking about how long it had been since we had been home um, during April. And a lot of guys were talking about, like, Nelson Cruz hadn't been in Dominion April for, like, 22 years. Something crazy like that. So it's an awkward time, but uh, we're all in this together. And, it seems like every week or so another leak comes out with a proposal like we're all going to arizona for four months and then there's the spring training proposal and next week we're going to be playing on the moon in a biosphere and uh does your phone go crazy every time one of those leaks out into the the media yeah i think it's really cool that we're able to explore these opportunities you know we can pretty much anything and everything can be brought to the table and explored and uh we can kind of put some pen and paper to it and see if it's something we can get to going um, you know, the Arizona thing was one of those things where I had to connect with a lot of teammates to get their opinions on it. You know, one, kind of being away from the family for that long, being isolated from the family. And um, since, since I don't have a family yet, I had to connect with teammates to see what they felt about that. You know, the isolation is, is my gig. I would do that anyway. Yeah, I had to connect with them and see what their thoughts were. And then as you're talking with them, more things come up that, that you don't really realize. So. You know, talking with the co-position players, one of their concerns was playing in that Arizona heat every day. And that just didn't register with me. And I'm like, wow, that makes total sense. You position guys have to do that. And, you know, what about a catcher? If we play in the Arizona heat and 
we play 11 innings that day. We got to turn around and play again the next day in the Arizona Heat. What are we talking about for you know future careers down the line, health-wise and stuff like that? So there was a lot of factors going into that, and um, I think the best way to do that is connect with teammates and, and just get their thoughts. You know, it's like a big think tank. Um, when you talk to 15 guys and see what their thoughts are, you can pull a lot of things together. Yeah, and again, it's so comprehensive and there is no template, so why not throw everything at the board? And, uh, you know, it got some snickers, a couple of the things you have, but, but why not look at them? And, and, and we can only guess what might be coming up next. You mentioned usage. Uh, as a reliever in particular, you know, we saw a, ru- a run on starters announcing they were getting Tommy John as we went into this break. And, hey, it was building towards that, and we're not going to play for a while. Let's get it done. The way relievers are so volatile anyway, and with load management and usage rates, could there potentially be any benefit to a guy like yourself to not throw as much in 2020, you know, to, to not be out there throwing throwing darts right now? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's two sides to every coin on that. Uh, some relievers um, feel better the more they're throwing, the more uh, kind of constant work you're getting, the more you can kind of stay, you know, um, in a good rhythm. Some guys, you know, if, if you can get once every three days, that's when they're at their best. Um I, I, I just don't think there's one good template or one good, um, you know, per, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A perfect storm, per se, I guess. Uh, as a reliever, you're kind of just on call anyway. So I think this part of thing, this type of situation would really fit our mold. Phone rings, it's time to go. Okay, we're ready to go. And um, with our ball club, I really feel like, you know, we had a good chance this year of uh, going having a good run in the playoffs and no matter how our season could be formatted i really feel like we have a good chance we have really deep starting pitchers mm-hmm. so you know if we're going to be playing some extra double headers i really like our chances there and uh you know obviously with the bomba squad we're going to put up some runs and really like our bullpen so however our season is going to be formatted i really still like our chances no matter what yeah, and depth at the minor league level too position wise just if it gets to a situation which it, it seems as if the calendar would would edge towards bigger rosters in order to keep people from being put through the ringer in a, a compressed season taylor rogers is our guest it's the twins clubhouse and taylor we're going to run through some of the finer moments of your career there are certainly more still to come but we're going to play some highlights and some clips and whatnot uh, and kind of let you go back down memory lane a little bit with some of your time in the major leagues with the Twins. I think it's four years this week that you received your first call-up to the major leagues. You were pitching in Rochester. It was very early in the season in April. And before you could tell anyone, even your parents, you had to wait for, of all teams, the Richmond Flying Squirrels to finish batting practice. Do you you remember that interminable wait for your brother to get near his phone? Absolutely do. Um, Yeah, it was actually today. The the date was today, April 13th, so... Yeah, kind of weird timing, but yes, I had to definitely wait for my brother. Uh, I knew he was taking batting practice at that time, so I had to kind of sit tight. And um, Obviously, that was one of the best calls ever. And then um, to one-up that, he returned the favor uh, last year and, and waited to, to share the news with me first. So um, really, really cool moment. Uh, definitely something you'll never forget. Well, it was April 13th. I believe Chad Allen was the guy who pulled you aside. Uh, you got the call up, you flew to Minnesota, you had this to say upon your arrival, and then also de- debuted the next day. Let's hear the clip. You can have the, the sibling connection, but I think the twin connection goes that much further. It's it's unexplainable, and uh, I ended up watching a movie on the airplane this morning about 
two, two twin gangsters. Some of the things they were, they were doing in the movie were similar to what, how we grew up. Not gangster stuff, but, you know, just the way they interact with each other and it just cracking me up and the timing was weird. And the 0-1 is flared in the air, back is short. Escobar chasing out of the grass in left field and he runs it down. So a scoreless debut for Taylor Rogers. All right, so we get the gangster stuff with you and your brother on the plane. What was the movie? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but it was those uh, the Irish uh, gangsters. Gosh dang it. No, I can't remember it. But there was a couple scenes in that movie where they were best friends, and then about 20 seconds later they were in a full-on fist fight. That, that's what really rang home to me. Uh, and I think it's probably best we were separated during this quarantine. We are super close and we're best friends, but there are times where we can get into fights. So it's probably best we don't begin the season on the DL after uh, or the IL. Now, I, I have to say, so that was your first strikeout. And you mentioned that your brother Tyler returned the favor when he got called up this last year. And you guys uh, had quite a night in the Rogers household because he was debuting uh, in San Francisco. And you actually got your 21st save of the year on the same night. What was the communication, the back-channel communication, between you and your folks and your brother that day? They were both there to watch his debut, but I'm sure they were keeping an eye on what you were doing too. They sure were. So they were in the stands in San Francisco watching my game on their phone through the MLB app and uh, watched the save. And my dad loves to tell a story. He says he's watching it on his phone. I get the save. He turns the, turns his phone off, and my brother's warming up. So Perfect he loves to tell that story. Yeah, and uh, really cool part of that was, you know, I kind of had that twin instinct when I was out there on the mound. We were in Chicago, and I got two quick outs, and uh, I was like, man, I better hurry this up. I kind of have a feeling this is about the time he'd be going in the game. And uh, uh, ended the game with a, a line drive right back at me. That a uh, little bit of a glove finder and game ended. So I ran off the field and got in there. And, and Tyler Duffy, uh, you know, probably my best friend on the team, was in the clubhouse changing all the TVs to the Giants game. Oh, that's awesome! And uh, was, the coolest part was was seeing my teammates and how excited they were for it as well. And everybody stuck around uh, to watch him pitch, and we were all in the clubhouse yelling and screaming uh, for his debut. So. Yeah, honestly, uh, I, I don't think there's anything that may top that the rest of my life. Yeah, you told me before that happened that you felt like his call-up was going to be a bigger moment for you than your own call-up. Uh, and it turned out you were right. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's strictly because of our past. You know, mine was yeah. a little more structured, kind of went up a level every single year, and here's this and that, and uh you know, he had a rougher path. Uh, he was a senior sign, spent a, a couple of years in high A, and then, uh, you know, he had four years in triple A, you know, a couple of which he was an all-star there. So we were kind of thinking his time would come, but it never really did. And uh, he just grinded it out, didn't give up, and he finally got his, can- his chance to go up. And, uh, you know, over Christmas, we were with family over Christmas, and they were making plans, um, you know, for San Francisco trips and Minnesota trips. And my brother says, whoa, whoa, hey, hold on, like, not everybody's doing what Taylor's doing. I like not everybody gets called up and just stays. <laughs> That's you know, true. Like, don't plan on me <laughs> just staying. You know, sometimes it's not completely up to me. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely not taking it for granted. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, I'm so proud of him. And, and yes, uh, I agree with you. His, his call up was way bigger than mine. 
Taylor, did you and C.J. Crone ever talk about that at all? Because he had the cool instance where not only did his brother, not a twin, but his younger brother get called up, but his dad was his brother's manager who got to tell him, uh, which is an amazing in and of its own self. Uh, did you guys ever talk about that experience? I mean, I know C.J. not a huge talker. <laughs> yeah, um, it was one of those things we did need to talk about. Uh, you know, he he came over and congratulated me and said, hey, congrats on your brother getting called up. And I said, yeah, you only you really know what this is like. And <laughs> yep. he said, that's right. It's pretty special. And, Very cool. uh, yeah, it's, it's nothing for words, but yeah, we definitely both know the feeling. Taylor Rogers is our guest. It's the Twins Clubhouse. And the Twins, of course, want to remind you the squad will be back. Twins appreciate all the support during these unprecedented times. Keep checking twinsbaseball.com for the latest news on your favorite players like Taylor Rogers and your hometown Twins. When it's time to play ball again, Twins will be ready. Until then, we encourage everybody to stay home and certainly stay safe. Now, we don't have any highlights from 2017, Taylor, but that was your first full year in the big leagues. You had nearly a year in 2016. Like your brother mentioned, you, you didn't go back after that brief couple of weeks in 2016, which is incredibly rare. You appear in 69 games, uh, ERA at 307. You pitch in the postseason. Um, was there any big moment in that year that you remember, or was it all just kind of like a roller coaster ride? I remember... Obviously, first opening day uh, is something you'll always remember. And then uh, pretty close to the beginning of the season, we were in Baltimore. And uh, we were kind of light on pitching in the bullpen that day. And uh, I think we had a one or, one or two run lead. And I came in to throw the eighth. And, you know, at that time, I was kind of a left-handed guy only, one of the old loogies, which is, I guess, extinct now. But, uh, yeah, I was called on to get the eighth. And uh, it was the heart of their lineup. It was Adam Jones and Mark Trumbo and Scope and Chris Davis. And, uh, yeah, I was remember being super nervous and kind of got thrown in there because everybody else had been pitching a lot. So I um, was able to go in there, and, and I got the job done in the inning on a 3-2 curve uh, to Chris Davis. And Chris Jimenez back there gave a big fist pump, and I had my first fist pump too. So uh, uh, guys were making fun of me in the clubhouse after that. You know, it's, it was an awkward, <laughs> awkward fist pump, but uh, that was yeah, definitely a propeller for me for the season, and then that helped. Uh, you know, Molitor kind of trusted me a little bit more after that with uh, some tougher situations, and was able to keep doing well through that. And I think that was really kind of the next step of my career, and the next step of me staying, sticking around a little bit. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, a your fist pump game still needs work, and we're going to talk about that a little <laughs> bit more does. later. But I wrote down the same game. It was May 24th. I was in Baltimore for that series, uh, and it was uh, the eighth inning, and you came through against the middle of the lineup, two big punch-outs in that one. And that was, it. I thought, a turning point for you and the way you were utilized. You also got your first taste of pitching in a playoff game. Uh, you only faced one guy. You struck him out, Greg Bird, uh, in Yankee Stadium. But I would think that's the type of moment at the time you soak in, you stow away, and you learn from, and, and you get a taste of that, and you want a whole lot more. Absolutely. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> said, it, said it perfectly there, Chris. Um, definitely, uh, you know, it, the playoffs is a different beast, and, and obviously in New York it's a different beast. And uh, I was glad we were able to get back there and, and have another shot at it because uh, we kind of had an idea what to expect when we got out there. And, you know, I wish could have pitched a little more in the playoffs last year, but uh, definitely that first one, get out of the way and get your feet wet and kind of know what to expect. 
Yeah, and you, uh, again, faced them in 17, and we move on to 2018. You talk about uh, signposts along the point of a career, and we're going to get to some of your outstanding efforts and saves uh, later in the 2018 season. But to me, I go back to a fairly nondescript weekend when the Twins did not play well uh, against the Cincinnati Reds at Target Field when you decided to debut a new pitch. Yeah, yeah, that was – I remember that too, Chris. Man, you're hitting these on the nose. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, right, right before that, probably, probably three, four weeks before that, um, I was talking with Eddie Gordado and, and you know, Eddie, he's, he's a happy go lucky guy, jokester. Uh, but he kind of approached me with a more serious conversation. And when he's serious, you know, to listen. And, uh, he just said, I think you should try this. And I, I really do think it'll help you with right handers and help prolong your career a little bit. So. He was awesome. We worked on it every single day. You know, my arm wasn't feeling the best. You know, working on a new pitch during the season is probably not the best idea. But, uh, yeah, Eddie, Eddie worked with me every day to get that slider going and, uh, was warming up that day. And he goes, Hey, this game is kind of out of reach. You know, what are you waiting on? I said, All right. This is the time to do it. And, uh, had some good success with it and kept, kept running with it. And then by the end of the year, it was, you know, you know, up there in, in full arsenal and full confidence with it. And I really do think that, again, was another step uh, in my career to just try to keep advancing it. Yeah, you became a whole different guy. You went from a, a fastball, curveball, once in a while, show him a changeup guy to having that slider too, and guys couldn't sit on, on anything. I felt like your velo even went up in addition to the, the other breaking pitch. And when Eddie had the serious on him, he tilts his head to the side and kind of stares at you, and you can't. You can't break the eye contact. You feel like he's staring right through you. So when he gets serious mm-hmm. and tilts the head, you probably want to pay a lot of attention. That's right. That's right. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I I tell Eddie all the time. He'll call me every now and then, and, and I always give him the utmost credit. It's like, if, if it wasn't for you, I don't I don't think my career would be at this juncture. And so thank you. And, and he always tells me, uh, you know, in, in so many words to, to shut up and and, uh, you know, stop telling us that. <laughs> well, let's fast forward to August of 2018 when you knock another first off your list. And now the 0-1. Grotted to third. Miguel has it to his left. He'll set. He'll throw. Ball game over. Twins win 5-4. to four. Gibson the win. Rogers the save. Maurer the game-winning pitch hit home run. First one, I think, uh, I don't think I've ever gotten one uh, in my life, but... Uh, you know, last year I was probably 0 for 3 on those, so I didn't think I'd get another shot, but uh, nice to uh, help the ball club win. Yeah, if you're going to get your first save, you might as well throw in a, a classic number 7 pinch hit game-winning home run, right? <laughs> of course, of course. Joe Maurer right in the beginning of it. That's the coolest part about Joe Maurer is, is he had the game-winning homer, and uh, right when that game ended, met him uh, behind the mound, and he said congrats on your first save. And I was like, man, this guy is just so cool. He he basically won the game for us, and he's over here congratulating me. What's funny about that, somehow perfect, Taylor, is your first save came. You inherited those runners. I think think it was Matt McGill maybe having a rough day. And it was first and second with two out. And I can recall speaking with you when you were in camp in 16, you had never inherited a runner in your life. You would never come into a game with a guy on base because you'd always been a starter. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. I remember talking with you about that. And my biggest fear was going in there, letting those runs get in and then have to approach that pitcher 
whose runs I just gave up and say sorry. <laughs> that was my my biggest fear. Yeah. <laughs> and, and relievers I, hate I that, that, don't that they? Helps. Of all the stats in the world, it's inherited runners. I have to think you guys keep tabs on closer than most. Like that has to be the worst, the one thing that as a relief pitcher you don't want to give up another guy's runs. Certainly, because you know. If, if you give up two or three one, runs in one day, it's going to take you an entire month of good baseball to get back to where you were. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a big, a big thing for relievers. And, uh, you know, when, when somebody comes in and, and strands your runners, you just want to go give them a huge hug. <laughs> well, we go, we move on to 2019, new regime, new bullpen usage. Team uh, doesn't officially announce a closer. Um, but you were making a strong case to maybe, uh, be that guy, if not in name, then in reality, because you weren't satisfied with saves. Uh, early in the season, April 20th, 2019, you decide that you'll go ahead and just get a six-out save. Let's listen. Rogers a long look and now has his side. Two on, two out. Here's the 2-2 pitch. He got him! Strike three, swinging on a breaking ball. He went back to the slider, and Rogers gets Smith to end the inning. Two balls and two strikes in the ninth inning. And the pitch. He got him. Strike three. A foul tip hung onto by Castro. A fastball from Rogers ends it. And the Twins win 6-5. to five. That was the first of what would become seven saves for UN, counting of six or more outs. You struck out five. That's a career high. Uh, was there any doubt you were coming back out? And are you a guy who, who is fine with that in-between innings deal? Not all relievers are smooth and, and comfortable with that. Yeah, you know, it's it's more of a mental thing. I think uh, that was one of the things I reverted to from my starter days of of uh, kind of routine in between innings. And uh, you know, Terry Francona did a good job. It seemed like every time you know I was going to be going out for the the next inning, he always had one or two pitching changes uh, before I'd head back out there. <laughs> it seemed like those innings would take a half hour. But uh, yeah, I just went back to the starter days and and did my own uh, in between innings routine, kind of keep the legs going and. You know, that was one of the things was that's what the team needed. So that that's what gave me the, the energy and, and uh, the motivation to do that. It's what, what the team needed. And uh, Rocco, you know, would say, I'm the guy. I said, all right, I'm not going to let you down. And uh, let's get this thing done. Was There was a game early in the year where you were pitching in the ninth. And it was, it was one of those where it was technically a save situation, but it wasn't like it was, you know, runners at second and third one run game or anything like that. And you came out of the game with two out of the ninth, and Trevor May came in and got the last out and, and got the save. No big deal. Trevor had a great year, and you guys, I think, had like nine different dudes get saves. But I would think just from a pride standpoint, you wanted to become the guy that was trusted to stay on the mound to finish what you'd started, lefty-righty matchup be damned. Is that fair? That's fair. That's fair, yes. I actually had a discussion with Rocco after the game that day, and this is a testament to Rocco. You know, he... He knew the significance of, you know, what a save means to a reliever. And, and, you know, it means there's a significance to your pay attached to it as mm-hmm. well. So he knew, he knew there was, you know, uh, I probably had a problem with it. So we went and talked and, and, uh, he asked what my thoughts were. And I said, I completely understand, you know, Trevor May get, uh, gets the job done, you know, great pitcher. And, uh, but I said, I think it's one of those things where, you know, if, if I'm going to be out there more often, then my teammates need to know that too. They need to know that uh, I'm going to I'm going to be the guy out there no matter what, uh, whether it's one inning or two innings. If, if they, I want them out there trusting me just as much as you are. So, 
good, good, healthy conversation with Rocco, and uh, we we were able to just um, kind of move past it, and and we ended up in the playoffs, winning the division. Ended up winning 101 games, and you were used in a lot of different roles in a lot of different spots, including this big game against Texas in July. But you didn't just go two innings; you went seven outs. One ball, two strikes, two outs, and the pitch. He got him. Strike three, Taylor Rogers. You are amazing. Strikes out Santana to end it, and the Twins win 7-4. It was a good, efficient effort by him to be able to go out there and, and go that length and not throw that many pitches while also getting the results that he got. It was, uh, you know, was going to take a special effort um, from him to, to get it done, and uh, he was able to do it. Yeah, I would say it was pretty efficient. That was Rocco Baldelli's voice, of course, and Corey Provis sucking up to you by telling you how amazing you are. You struck out five of the last six guys in that ballgame. Not a bad way to ensure that you were going to stay on the mound. I'm more curious about what the discussion was like when you came in in the seventh. What did they tell you with two outs in the seventh when they needed you uh, to get out of the pickle uh, as opposed to the way you blazed to the finish line? Yeah, um they didn't really tell me anything, you know. I just went in there to in the seventh, tried to get that out, and then uh, kind of knew I was going to go back out for another inning. But I knew I needed to be efficient and and not have a lot of pitches in that eighth inning, um, so so I could have a chance to go out there for the ninth and grab a save. So yeah, I just tried to attack right away and um, was able to get some strikeouts. But really, I was just looking for some early weak contact and maybe get some quick outs so that I was ensured to have that ninth inning and. Um, yeah, just kind of got in a groove that day. That was, uh, I remember it was a day game at Target Field, and yeah, I was uh, really happy. Uh, Rocco and, and Wes trusted me to go back out there, you know, for a third inning because you're not really sure sometimes. You, you, you know, the, that third inning, uh, you know, starters are used to doing that, but relievers aren't. And uh, I, I was pretty happy with myself to get through that many innings. I, I love that your idea of an efficient inning is to strike out the side. That was. That goes back to your math skills in high school, right there. I'll be efficient. I'll just, I'll just strike everybody out, and uh, you did it. <laughs> and it certainly, it certainly worked out. Fast forward, September. Uh, the beauty of September was that it was all hands on deck, and every game felt like a huge game. Uh, when we went to Boston, it felt like a monumental series. Um, there's history there. You're at Fenway Park, all of those things, and you were on the mound for this play. Now the 2-2 pitch on the way. Swung on, hit in the air, left field, deep for Martinez towards the wall, and it is off the wall. Rosario plays the big hop, rallies it towards the plate. Here comes Devers. Castro has it. He is out. A one-hop strike from Eddie Rosario. Castro laid the tag, and this series ends on an out-at-home plate. Yeah, out at home plate. Eddie didn't catch that first home run from Kinsler, but he made a heck of a play at Fenway Park. I know it wasn't the best of years for Boston, but Taylor, that ballpark, it's history. The place was wild that night. And for all the world, when that ball left the bat, it looked like it had a chance to clear that monster in left field. Run us through your thoughts uh, on that particular play as you raced to, to back up home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome, awesome. Uh that was my fault on that play. Uh, I, I shook off Castro and threw what I wanted to and didn't feel good about shaking off Jason Castro, but uh, that's kind of what I was feeling at the time. It turned out to be the wrong move. But, uh, yeah, Eddie came in huge. You know, I was I went back to back up home plate and 
for a second there, I went, what am I doing back here? If he scores, you know, uh, you know, the game's over. So no reason for me to be back here. And then, uh, yeah, Eddie throws a strike, got, got a, the best look at it. And, uh, yeah, a heck of a play by Eddie Rosario. And then to shut down the Boston crowd like that, nothing's better than doing that. Yeah. And you mentioned Castro and obviously a guy who really knew what he was doing behind the plate still does in an angels uniform, but he came in cold because Garv had started that game, I believe. And Castro had come in late in that ball game uh, after maybe a pinch hit type situation or a running situation. And he ends up laying the tag there, uh, which again, in this day and age where it's a sweep tag at home play, that's no walk in the park either. No, it's not. And that ball had a little skip to it. Yeah. Um, didn't really have a true, true hop off the grass. It had a little skip, so credit to him. He picked that clean, and sometimes when you uh, when those catchers tag the runners, that ball will sneak out of their glove. So another credit to him for holding on to that ball and uh, definitely have that one uh, saved. Yeah, and Eddie's moonwalking yeah, in left moment. field, and you were basically like, can I call it a fist pump? I, I feel like I can't call it a fist pump. We uh, Really, I need to go see somebody about fist pumps. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, it felt it felt like it felt like I had a huge fist pump and was you know jumping all over the place. But when you look at it on on tape, it's kind of a mini one, and uh, again very awkward. So I might just that's why I don't do anything after you know a good save or whatnot because I know it just looks completely awkward, and I don't want to get made fun of by teammates. So I'm just better off to do the stone wall. The stone wall. I like that. I'm going to call it the stone wall from now on. Uh, now, I should mention, that was not your first rodeo at Fenway Park. Weren't you the winning pitcher in the, the Cape Cod All-Star game there? I was. Yes, I was. 2011. That's a deep cut right there, Taylor. That's a deep cut. That's a deep cut. Tyler Duffy pitched in that game as well. Ooh, look at that. Did he get shelled? You know, I don't remember. It was I didn't know him at the time either, so I just <laughs> remember <laughs> You didn't know he was your future yeah, wow. catch you, partner? You, did, uh, you really did some research today, Chris. Yeah, well, you know, I got some time on my hands, you know, and I figure when <laughs> when I've, I've known you since before you got called up, I've pretty much used all my stories. So at some point I got to reload, and if you're going to continue to be successful, uh, you know, in, in the big leagues, I got to have more stories as we move along. So I'm trying to dust it off. And, and by the way, your spring roommate, Tyler, uh, as, as well as your catch partner, he and, and Sarah had a, a healthy baby, and we're going to let them do all the official announcements with names and whatnot, but does that make you an uncle? Are, are you the, the throwing partner uncle? Definitely, definitely. I have, uh, I, I've sent a couple gifts in the mail. We'll see how long it takes for the mail to get there, but, uh, yeah, I sent some stuff out for the Duffies, uh, for the newborn. So, yeah, Uncle Raj uh, can take care, of, take care of, be the guy with the cool gifts. That's very cool. That's a great role, and I heard from Tyler today as well, and it's great news for, for all of them and their family down there in Houston. Let's finish up what was just a magical year in 2019. So many big games down the stretch, and so many of them were against Cleveland. And it was about a week and a half after that Fenway win where I think we all got on the bus after that, and it was the late night, and we drove to an airport in the middle of nowhere, and I think it had the feel of we just did something, like this group just accomplished something with that win and that series win at Fenway. But it wasn't officially done until you could knock out Cleveland. And it was a big doubleheader on the 14th of September. And the pitching, if you looked at the lines of the starters, favored Cleveland. Because you guys were going Johnny Holstaff with a bunch of rookies and first-year, second-year guys for both of those games. And all you did was sweep the doubleheader, including a 2 nothing win 
in game one, a shutout. Uh, that was, for me, the epitome of what this bullpen was all about in 2019, and here's your part of it. Two outs, Kipnis at first, 0-2 on Freeman. Rogers ready, and the pitch. He got him! Strike three swinging, ball game over. Twins win. Twins win. The Minnesota Twins win it. Well, I had to flush the fact that I'm probably not going to win the gold glove anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and then, uh, you know, just get down to business. It's, uh, it's just like if it uh, would have been an infield hit or something. It uh, was no problem. Just we had a two-run lead there and, and just try to get a couple more outs. That was, of course, in reference to your error that allowed Kipnis to reach, uh, or it would have been a 1-2-3. Uh, and the beauty of that game to me, Taylor, Smeltzer goes three, Littell goes two dominant innings, Tyler goes an inning and two-thirds, Romo two-thirds, you an inning and two-thirds. That, to me, for all the talk of the Bomber Squad, that and that sort of uh, continuity and community in the bullpen was such a huge part of last season. Absolutely. I think that was a real proving chance for our bullpen. You know, in the beginning of the season, the offense was getting all the credit. We had really good starting pitching. So everybody was worried about our bullpen. You know, we don't have a closer. What's the deal with the bullpen? Is that going to hurt us in the playoffs? Will it prevent us from getting the playoffs? And I, I kept telling our guys, like, I think our bullpen is just fine. There's just nothing else that could be of an issue for us. So we're kind of just the scapegoat here. Um, but I, I really do think, yeah, that, uh, using a whole bullpen like that and, uh, you know, we executed our plan to a T and, and everybody went out there and did their job. And yeah, that was really a big step forward for us in the season. And I think, uh, even though it was only one game in the standings above Cleveland after that, I really do think it felt much, much larger than that. Yeah, and Lewis Thorpe comes out and pitches the nightcap, and we watch the Twins win that ball game as well, uh, and and kind of often often running at that point in time. Yeah, Cleveland was the site of a lot of great moments, including one of my all-time favorite Taylor Rogers stories, which is the epic mound visit from mm-hmm. Wes Johnson uh, in Cleveland, where you essentially told him, uh, and I believe I'm paraphrasing you here, look, Wes, get out of here. The beer's getting warm. Uh, here's Wes's comments on that mound visit. I was actually going out there to discuss the runner on base. Rocco and I were like, hey, man, I don't even want anybody worrying about this guy. Let's get the hitter was kind of the message. And so, I, you know, I wanted everybody on page. And I wasn't even going out there to talk to Taylor, really. It was more just, uh, hey, well, to tell Taylor, hey, don't even worry about your stuff's fine. You look yeah. great. Rock said, we're, we're really not even going to worry with this base runner. Don't even, don't even give him a second thought. Punch this guy out. So that made it even better <laughs> because he, he told me that. And I said, yeah, exactly, Raj. Don't even worry about the guy at first. So we're okay. Then you can come on in, man. Matter of fact, that Rock said, because I, I did come in, I had that little smirk on my face, and he said, what did he say? I said, I'll tell you later. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I was waiting to get the third out, and then I told him. So That was Wes Johnson, and uh, was he that calm and cool when you told him that? Uh, he was a little shocked, I think. He, he wasn't prepared to hear that. And also, Ostadio was catching at the time, so Elvis, the translator, was out there. And I don't think Elvis really knew what he was getting into either. So if you look at that one on video, you can see Elvis just cracking up, trying not to laugh uh, in the huddle. But, uh, yeah, it was, that was fun. Uh, we started a thing. It started with Duffy um, and Presley a little bit, but whenever – the pitcher from the previous inning was in the clubhouse and the next guy who came in, you, you put up a zero, uh, you know, press would put a beer on my chair and, you know, kind of a good job. And 
Delphi would do the same. So, you know, you get in the clubhouse after a save and, you know, there'd be a beer in your chair, kind of a good job and, you know, nice work. And, uh, yes. So Wes was out there and I'm like, man, we're really killing my vibe right now. I'm in a good rhythm and uh, we're just slowing the game down. There's two outs in the ninth. What are we doing? And then he just, he comes out there. He's like, I'm just going to give you some time and, and give you a little break. I'm like, well, I don't need one there. The beer, my beer in my chair is getting warm right as we speak. We're wasting time out here. So, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Wes, Wes brings that up a lot. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a serious time, and I, I really do think uh, sometimes you just got to be a little more lighthearted about the moment. It's, it's a game at the end of the day, and, you know, I think that helped uh, the position guys that were at the mound as well know that uh, I wasn't panicking and, and, you know, wasn't feeling like I was getting beat yet. So I really do think that helped the morale of the team, and, and hey, the, the beer was cold when I got in there. I, I have to say I believe, and, and people, I think, during this, this time with no live sporting events and self uh, quarantining and whatnot. I think people are reevaluating sports and how much they mean and how they interact with sports and these athletes that maybe they don't even know but that mean a lot to them. And I think those meetings on the mound, Taylor, are one of the last frontiers. You know, we've got cameras everywhere, microphones everywhere. And it's one of those last frontiers where I really think people want to know what's going on out there. And I love the fact that we don't know that that's yours. And only when you choose to share those moments do we get a peek into it. And I think that's kind of a special thing. Oh, yeah, certainly, certainly. Even though, yeah, the mountain trips are far and few between these days now anymore. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. Um, you know, Rosie and I have a good friendship. And every time I'm running in the game and he's out in left field, I just, you know, say hello to him as I'm running in the game. And uh, he, he says hello back. And it's just kind of a, a fun-natured way of, of kind of reminding yourself, like, hey, Remember, this is a game. Let's have fun with it. You're going to perform better if you're if you're having a good time, just like Rocco likes to preach. So, uh, really, I'm just following the rules of the manager. That's all. Yeah, that's true. Following the manager's lead, and and I have to imagine that for all players, because baseball is such a sport of this time together. Whether you're in the clubhouse playing cards, whether you're on the bus, you're in the dugout, the bullpen, um, not having your 25 closest friends around you at all times has to be a little bit of an odd situation, isn't it? It's very odd, yes. And uh, you know what I like to do, Chris, is uh, our, our younger guys, uh, Smelter and, and uh, Dobnak and, and the guys like that, I like to phone call them. They, they like to text. They like to do the text stuff. But I just like to call them right now just, just because I know they don't like talking on the phone. Do they even know uh, what the ringing noise means when when their computer blows up with a a, a noise like that? (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. So definitely like to get them out of their comfort zone and and get them to talk on the phone because I'm I'm sure they're used to texting a lot. But, yeah, it's it's definitely a weird dynamic, man. Uh, uh, It's it's also, again, you got to check yourself a little bit and say, you know, everybody's in this position together. Um, Everybody's work, work friends. There's no more water cooler meetings. You know, it's it's uh, everybody's kind of missing out on that camaraderie in the workplace. How often do you talk to, to teammates? Do you guys ever do things in a in a cluster, or is it just individually reaching out, um, just kind of to, to to say hi and see what's up with everybody, or do you just kind of respect each other's time alone and with family as well? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, it, it goes in waves, I'd say. So some days, you know, you'll talk to four or five teammates, and sometimes mm-hmm. you'll go three, four days without talking to anybody. Um, you know, when something comes out in the media, that's normally when things spark up. And then you can say, you know, how's things going? 
what's your yeah. setup like, this and that. But uh, I was definitely bothering Duffy a whole lot because, you know, I knew the baby was uh, getting close to being being born, so trying to get the status on that. And there's a couple times I call him on accident instead of my brother because Tyler <laughs> Two and Tyler. Tyler's. <laughs> you know, uh, I called him the other day and, and he goes, what's up? I'm like, who's this? And he goes, <laughs> Duff. I'm like, sorry, wrong, wrong Tyler. <laughs> you could tell he was getting nervous, too, because he, he was tweeting more and you could see his classic Duffy anxiousness coming through in his social media mm-hmm. posts as he was awaiting a fatherhood. So thankfully he can go back to just being normal Duffy neurotic as opposed to pre-parent Duffy neurotic. <laughs> Certainly. Duffy's going to be a great father, and, and Sarah's going to be a great mother. I'm, I'm very happy for that. Yeah, you're just going to have to find a new place to live when the spring training reconvenes. Yeah, yeah. No longer my – we had a good run. We had a good run. Uh, we did uh, eight, eight, eight spring trainings. We were roommates. And you never had to cook a meal for eight years. <laughs> nope, but I did the dishes. The, uh, the cook don't clean. <laughs> Taylor Rogers, it is absolutely wonderful to catch up with you. Uh, you're doing a heck of a job uh, manning the post with your player rep duties uh, and your prison workouts. We're expecting you to have a Max Kepler-like physique uh, when we finally open the doors on the clubhouse and get back to playing baseball again. Uh, your perspective is much appreciated. I know Twins fans around Twins territory and those tuning in via podcast today love hearing your stories uh, and your perspective, and we can't thank you enough for joining us uh, on this edition of the Twins Clubhouse. And I want to take the opportunity to let people know and let you toot your own horn a little bit here that when we get going again, the podcast realm is going to be your neighborhood, specifically Taylor Rogers' neighborhood. I'm not saying you're going to wear a cardigan sweater and change your shoes every week, but you've kind of taken over a role that Michael Kadire pioneered, uh, that Kyle Gibson was a part of last year, where you're actually going to take one of our recorders and, Take us inside the clubhouse when we get back up and running. You looking forward to that? I am very, very much looking forward to that. Honored uh, uh, that you guys chose me to do that. Um, I'm really looking forward to connecting with teammates. And uh, I did talk to Gibson about some of his, you know, uh, ins and outs of how he prepared it <laughs> and, and uh, who he interviewed. So I'm making sure we're not going to interview two people twice. And I'm gonna, I might be going uh, a little bit under the under the radar with uh, my guests. Um, so really looking forward to it. And, um, Chris, I, I'm going to have to get some information from you because your research for this was off the charts. So I'm going to have to learn some, some uh, stuff from you on, on how to research things for people. I, I will be happy to, uh, to tell you all of my sources uh, as we get closer to that time. And, and, Taylor, let's just hope that that's sooner rather than later, all right? Let's do that, yes. All right. You take care of yourself in the chill pad, and hopefully we'll be seeing you on the mound at Target Field, healthy and uh, ready to roll here before too long. Taylor, always great catching up. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Uh, Stay safe. That's Taylor Rogers. A fantastic conversation, as always, with the Twins Closer. This is the Twins Clubhouse. We encourage you to uh, join us uh, all across the Treasure Island Baseball Network and, of course, wherever you download your Twins podcast, you can find us. Uh, We started with Jake Odorizzi, Brian Dunsing, Denard Spann. We've now added Taylor Rogers to the list. They are all unique, uh, insightful, and very funny individuals, and I hope you'll enjoy all of those conversations when you have the time, and we all have some of that now on our hands. Until next week, this has been the Twins Clubhouse. This has been a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network.